This is awkward to do, but I didn't like the third song that he played, and I just wanted to tell him that. <laughs> so we have high accountability around here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. You guys are going to turn on me. <laughs> We've also banned Connor from wearing his Fitbit to uh, work because <laughs> when he wears it, so, uh, took the lead, took the lead. He's like, it's ridiculous. It's, okay, we're going to talk about the Lord now. <clears throat> Jesus said in uh, Revelation 3.20, Look, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and be with them. It actually goes on. Uh, I put the dot, dot, dots in there, but he goes on and says, I'll have a meal with them and they'll have a meal with me. I'm standing at the door and knocking. But, but I don't kick it in. This is Jesus talking. I don't kick it in. You've got to open it for me. You've got to open it for me. I, uh, I'm holding in my hand a, um, <clears throat> a pen tumbler mechanism inside of a cylinder lock. It is 100% amazing what you can learn on Wikipedia. <clears throat> that was funny. Uh, okay, um, you know, the 830 crowd didn't joke either. Uh, I, this is, um, this is, uh, this is, is this new technology or old technology? What's your guess? Old technology. How old do you think? How old? Good guess. Good guess. Good guess. 4,000 years old, Cynthia. 4,000 years old. Ancient Egypt. Um, now, it wasn't this quite, quite this fancy, um, but 4,000 years ago is the best guesses for, uh, for, for some of this, uh, this, this use of pins to, to lock things. It was almost uh, exclusively used in government and, 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 and commercial kind of uses, uh, but, in, but, in, <clears throat> but in 1818, some improvements were made, and in the early, eight, early and mid-1800s, um, uh, there were a number of people working on lock technology, but one guy that came to the forefront was a man named Linus Yale Sr. And he, uh, he upgraded the Egyptian thing and, uh, and, and, and began to use like double sets of tumblers and it's, it's pretty fancy. And then his son, because if, you know, Linus Yale uh, Jr., because if you've got a name like Linus, you're definitely naming your kid that. Um, Linus Yale, that was also funny. Um, Linus Yale Jr., uh, he, uh, he, he goes and invents uh, a key with, uh, with, with varying distances of the edges from the back side, and together the father and son have invented what we now know to be like the modern like lock, right? I mean, and, it, and, it, and it's fascinating because, because this key will fit it, but this one over here won't fit it, you know? And you can, and you can change them and swap them out. I mean, it's, it's really neat. But, but, but what's interesting is this modern lock that's been used, again, mostly in commercial kind of stuff uh, that, that appears on every one of our, of our houses, uh, this modern lock is, is actually pre- pretty new when it comes to, to, to being on our houses or being used on our houses. I, I called uh, I, I called a friend the other day, who um who's been around a little bit, and and I said, tell me your earliest remembrances of uh of of your parents locking the doors of your house, 
And he said, I, I remember, uh, uh, I, I, he's in his 80s, I remember in the, 19, in the 1930s and the 1940s, we had locks on the house, but we never used them. He said, the only time we ever locked the front door of the house was when, was when we would go out of town, which wasn't a lot. When we would go out of town, we'd lock the front door of the house. But, well, you know what he said? The back door was always open, right? It was always open. It was, just, it was basically just to, you know, to keep the curious out because the curious weren't bad guys. They wouldn't go walk around. You know, it was just to keep the curious out. You know? And what was fascinating is he lived in Columbus, Georgia. He lived like, like, you know, in a city. It's even been more recent that, that, that folks out here in, in rural America have been using locks you know, when the houses are occupied. We moved, to, uh, we moved to the big city of Waverly Hall uh, uh, in 2007. And every day when Julie would go to work and I'd go to work and the boys were off at school, every day our house stayed wide open. We didn't have a dog door and so Molly would come and go off the breezeway uh, as much as she wanted. We would only lock the house at night when we would go to sleep. That was like 10 years ago. 10 years ago. It's, 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 a rather new, it's a rather new phenomenon for people to lock their houses. And it's really new. But many of us do it. Lock our houses now when we're even home. And, I, and again, hear me. This is judgment-free. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not on, on, on if you should lock your house or not. But, but can we all admit that, 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 or maybe just begin to appreciate that the world has really kind of changed on this and, 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 and our behaviors have changed and I think it's because the world has been pushing us to do it. And understandably too, again, because I'm, I'm not preaching on this, but, but it's pretty understandable. Um, uh, there is a sense of security. There is a sense of, uh, of, of I even do what I say, fear. There's, there, th- like, like, like the world is pushing us to change our behaviors around how we, how we protect and lock ourselves and our families inside our homes and our valuables. But, but, but the analogy is this. While the world is doing that in terms of our homes, is the world also doing that in terms of our hearts, and our souls, and is that good? Jesus says, I'm knocking at the door, but but could it be that we're right on the other side with the door locked saying, I don't know who you are? I mean, could it be that the world is, is, is pushing us over here, but simultaneously our hearts and our souls are responding over here? We've been, we've been listening uh, first for, for a number of weeks to Luke's gospel as he's described what Jesus had to say. And now we continue on in Luke's uh, sequel to the gospel, the Acts of the Apostles. And, and now it's not Jesus in the flesh, it's Jesus in the spirit. And Jesus' body is occupied by the men and the women of the early church. First it's apostles and then it goes out from there. And they are putting on display the power that Jesus had. And they're doing it especially with signs and wonders. And we heard that last week, signs and wonders. And the signs and wonders that were on display then with Jesus are now on display today in the early church. And what's fascinating is who is experiencing the signs and wonders. And maybe sometimes it, maybe sometimes it catches us off guard. Like, like, we know that the good guys, you know, God's working through them, but what about the, 
right? And we, 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 we know the faithful ones, but what about the, is God working through both of them? The church grows so rapidly in those first few months. We read, uh, uh, you know, from, from Acts chapters, uh, you know, like five and six last week. Uh, but but you, you get to the next verse, uh, to the next chapter, from chapter five and, and chapter six, it says that the apostles were, uh, were busy. This is Acts chapter six in, in a nutshell. They were, they were, they were busy with, uh, with the healing and the signs and the wonders and the teaching. And, you know, there's 12 of them, but then they've also got others that are assisting. But it says that some of the responsibilities that were, that were assigned to the apostles weren't getting done. And I know you won't believe this, but inside the early church, there became a disagreement and a quarrel between factions. I know that's going to shock everybody. But, uh, but inside the church, some people said, hey, I don't like the way this is going for us, but it seems like they're getting taken care of. Like we're at the end of the Wednesday night supper food line and, 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 and yet they get all the food because we're at the end and they get all the food. And so, so the apostles said, all right, what we're gonna do is we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to appoint from our ranks, uh, from, from the ranks of the whole church, uh, a handful of folks and those people will take care of this food distribution, especially to the widows. And, and, and it says that's exactly what happened. One of them was a man named Stephen, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, now Stephen, like these other leaders, can't help himself when it comes to talking about the things that he has witnessed, particularly through Jesus Christ, but the things he's witnessed and the power that he experiences and what's going on in his life, and it gets him in a place where he is brought in front of the Jerusalem council, the same one that drug Peter and the other apostles in front of them, and he's in front of the Jerusalem council, and they're asking him, what are you saying and what are you doing and why won't you keep your mouth shut? This is Stephen, Acts chapter 7. And, and Stephen doesn't hold back. And he begins to say, let me tell you the history of the way that God works and then compare it side by side with the way that, 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 that religious leaders and, and authorities throughout time have disagreed with what God is doing. And, and, and he begins with this amazing like history lesson going way back to Moses and all along and all along. And he brings it up to the present day and says, and you're doing the same thing. You are opposed to God. And let me tell you, the Jerusalem Council at this point loves this, right? No, everybody say no. No, they didn't love this. They didn't love this, which, which brings us to, 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 to today's story, which we're going to hear over the course of, of, of three chapters and, uh, and what we listen to. But we find ourselves in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Once, once, once Stephen has said all this, it says, once the council members heard these words, they were enraged and began to grind their teeth at Stephen. It says, but Stephen, enabled by the Holy Spirit, stared into heaven and saw God's majesty and Jesus standing at God's right side. He exclaimed, look, I can see heaven on display and the human one standing at God's right side. At this, they shrieked and covered their ears. Together, they charged at him threw him out of the city, and began to stone him. The witnesses placed their coats in the care of a young man named Saul. 
As they battered him with stones, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, accept my life. Falling to his knees, he shouted, see if this sounds familiar, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Who does that sound like? Jesus from what? Just a, just a few weeks before. It says, then he died. Saul was in full agreement with Stephen's murder. At that time, the church in Jerusalem began to be subjected to vicious harassment. Everyone except the apostles was scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some pious men buried Stephen and deeply grieved over him. Saul began to wreak havoc against the church. Entering one house after another, he would drag off both men and women and throw them into prison. This, this, is, the, this is the portrayal, this is the understanding of how the early church began uh, to receive this persecution and yet remains faithful nonetheless. Men and women who, are, who are, are beginning to understand what Jesus said when he said, the world is not for you. The world is not for you. And yet be faithful anyway. And at the front lines of this effort to, uh, to, to attack and squash and silence and, and, and really push back the growth and expansion of, this, of, this follower, uh, of, of these followers of, of the way of Jesus is a guy named Saul. It's the first time we've heard him introduced. But Luke tells the story in such a way that Saul begins to rise in prominence as, as, as someone who's pushing against what God is trying to do. And so, and so you see, Stephen's story literally, literally ends like this. And right as Stephen's story is ending, in that very verse, it says that Saul's story begins to pick up. And, and, if, you're, and, if, you're, and, if, and if you don't have an understanding of where this is all going, you might think this is the end of the story because Stephen was faithful and he ends, but the bad guy, can I say bad guy? But the bad guy, he begins to ascend. What do we do with bad news? What do we do when injustice seems to be the norm? What do we do when the news is steadily negative and bad and wants to steal our hope and our joy? I know I'm not the only person in the room that's asking that question every single day, right? Well, the church remains faithful, it says. And God's not done with Saul. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. As he went, it says, he went to the high priest seeking letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Now, now I'm not going to say much more about this, but this is... This is profoundly a gross abuse of due process and, and what, how we understand human rights and civil rights and the Bill of Rights for that matter. It says, it says he was given permission. If he found persons who belonged to the way, which is an early description of, of the church, whether men or women, these letters would authorize Saul to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. 
If, if he literally just found you, you, you could be not, doing nothing wrong, but, but, if, but, but if he just believed that you were a follower of the way, then you're going to be thrown in prison. During the journey, as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven encircled him. It says he fell to the ground and heard a voice asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? And Saul asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are harassing, came the reply. Now get up and enter the city. You will be told what you must do. Those traveling with him stood there speechless. They heard the voice, but saw no one. After they picked Saul up from the ground, he opened his eyes, but he couldn't see. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and neither ate nor drank anything. This is the word of God for we the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. Sometimes sometimes God uh, is standing at the door and, and he's knocking and he's calling out and it's a whisper. But then, but then sometimes God is knocking at the door and he's standing there and it sounds like peals of thunder. And this is that moment for Saul. I mean, he's, 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 literally, he's literally surrounded by a beam of light. And then he's struck blind and he stays that way for three days. And God has a plan to lead him out of the dark, literally out of the dark, and into the light. God has a plan for him, to, for him to turn his life around. But the fascinating thing is that he was such a bad guy before that God has to twist the arm and convince the person that's going to carry out the plan that it's going to be okay. It's a fast, you should go read it. It's a great story. God comes to this guy in Damascus and says, I want you to go and talk to this guy who's blind and speak to him on my behalf. And the guy's like, yeah, sure. And he goes, what's his name? And he goes, his name's Saul. And he goes, Whoa, what? That's Saul, the one with the letters, the one that can throw me in jail and have me killed. That's Saul that killed Stephen, right? And held everybody's coats while they did it. That's Saul? And God's like, yeah, it'll be fine. And yet, and yet they're faithful. What explains this level of faith except that God was working with such power? And again, the book of Acts calls that signs and wonders. With such power that they, that they could not explain in any other way that this had to be of God. And yet, and yet I'm still fascinated that not only is he working through Stephen with signs and wonders, but he's doing it with Saul. If we had more time, we could turn this room, this, this room into like, the, like a half pep rally for Stephen. He's the good guy on the good guy team, right? Everybody say yay. You know? And then you guys are the bad guy team, right? You know, and you, you're like, boo, yeah. He, he's, he's working with the good guys and through the good guys. But read it. He's also working with the bad guys. I, it's not the right term. I don't know what else to call Saul, though. He's a bad guy. And God works through him anyway. What do we do with that? 
except, except that it doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't even matter where you are right now. What matters is where you go from here. And th- their lives literally intersect. And God says, I don't care that you're headed in the wrong direction. I- I'm going to work with you anyway. Which is, of course, what? That's my story. And that's your story and your story. I don't, I don't care what you've done. I care what you will do. And if you'll open the door, what you can do is so much more. And this is because Jesus gave us his power. John 20, 21, it's not on the screen, but I got it right here. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What does this look like for the church? What does this look like for the church? I, I, uh, I, I sat with a friend that's in the church the other day, and, uh, and she's telling me this story from the Walmart, which is great. Everybody, like, I know you're excited. I mean, like, it's a story from the Walmart. And so she's, she's in the Walmart, and she's in the back of the store, and God's been talking to her in the back, and she's been obedient back there, and then, um, <clears throat> you know, which is good, right? You're supposed to be obedient to God. But then, but then God really tests her patience. She gets up to the front of the Walmart, and she only has three things. And she's walking into the self-checkout section, right? And God says, no. I want you to go through a regular line. And I, this is, me adding to the story probably, but, but she probably says, Lord, what are you asking me, right? Because we're in a Walmart. How many lines are open? How many lines are open? So seriously, she tells me. There's one line open, and it's the cigarette line, right? <clears throat> so it's like, you know, who knows? How many people are in the line? She, she goes, and she gets in the line, and God's still talking to her. And she, and she gets up, and there's this woman, we'll call her Sarah, that's across, that's the cashier, and God tells my friend what to say to Sarah, and she does it, and she sees the woman respond, and she's like blown away, right? But then, but then she keeps being obedient to what God is saying, and and in this conversation, and then amazingly, there's no one in line, and so she has an extra moment to speak, and uh, and 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 they exchange phone numbers. She does with Sarah. She says, "I right." You told me to do it, and I did it. She's thinking, this woman's... N- 45 minutes later, Sarah texts her. They begin exchanging messages back and forth. And then they plan to have lunch together. But before they have lunch together, she says that God gives her, and I'm going to use a term here, a, a word of knowledge. I don't know that she said this, but, she, but I looked it up. She gave... God gave her a word of knowledge, which, is, um, which can mean a lot of things. It's described in the Bible uh, vaguely, but it, but, but, but it, but it can mean a, a, a secret, unknown piece of information about the state of another person's heart. And, it, and, and God gives her a word of knowledge, and they go and have a meal together. And sure enough, halfway through the meal, Sarah, the Walmart cash register person, reveals to her something that she says, I don't tell anybody this, but, and then she lays it out, and it's exactly what God had told this woman needed to be said 
and they've now had lunch three times together. And, and, and she's describing how, how God is leading her to be open to what, to what Sarah needs to hear and what Sarah needs to say. And she's just following along in a Walmart. And, th- and that same night, after hearing that story, I swing by the Publix. I pick up one thing, and it was like, it was late. I think it was like, Right as they're closing, and uh, and I and I I meet with uh, uh, Shanithia. That's actually her name. Uh, she's one of the registers, uh, cash registers at the Publix here. And I've talked to her before, and uh, and and I'm nice. You'd all be proud of me. I was respectful, and it was it was good, and um, had a good conversation. And I get in the car, and you know how far it is, right, from from the Publix to my house. And I'm crossing the train tracks, and maybe it was the shaking of the tracks. But as I'm crossing the train tracks, God says to me, right there. <clears throat> you weren't listening to me. I'm like, no, but I was nice. (laughs) (laughs) But I was nice. And and I'm, I'm telling you this, he didn't say anything else. That was it. He said, you weren't listening to me. I, I, and I'm, maybe, maybe I'm wrong to guess. I guess that if he were to say something else, it would be, because I wanted you to do something, but you weren't listening to me. So you won't know. But I was, you weren't listening to me, but I was nice. And I'm not saying that God would want me to not be nice. I'm saying God wants me to be nice and he wants me to listen to him. God wants me to be nice and he wants me to do something. God wants me to be nice and he wants me to listen or ask or say or shut up, I don't know. God wants me to be nice, but he wants me to open the door for him. And my friend does it in the Walmart, and I don't do it in the Publix. Like, a bunch of years ago, a a Christian preacher named A.W. Tozer preached a sermon that became a book, and I think it's the question I leave us with. Do I want to hand the keys of my soul over to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, from now on, I don't even have a key to my own house. I come and go as thou tells me. Because the truth is, this is what Christianity looks like in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I mean, the, 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 the modern church, the worldly church, the church that's been adapted and, 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 and dis, disfigured and, and just changed, it says, well, that's crazy. That's my house. I'm going to do whatever I want, and I'm going to keep out whoever I want. That's, that's what the modern church says. But the, but the early church says, no, it's all yours. I'm going to take the locks right off so that when you knock, nothing slows me down from opening it to you and letting you come in. It's your house now. And I know there's a verse in here that says, I want you 
opening the door, even in the Walmart, and even in the Publix, and wherever you go, because I'm trying to get to you. Because signs and wonders are supposed to be happening. And they are for my friend. But they're supposed to be for me and you too. So in your, uh, in your bulletin is this little, little piece of paper. That's how I close. We, uh, we posted this online, but we wanted to go the extra step, so we went to a little extra effort, effort, and we just created this little card, and on it is, is a simple prayer. Pray however you want, but if, but, if, but if you need a little help, and sometimes I need a little help, here's a prayer. Here's a prayer that, uh, that just simply says, come Holy Spirit into my heart. I'm open to you today. I'm open to you right now, because I know you want to work with power through me. And then beyond just, uh, and, so, and so keep this, put it in the front seat of your car, put it next to your toothbrush, put it on the breakfast table, walk around with it, fold it up and put it wherever you need to see it. P- pray it every day, pray it multiple times a day. And then, and then in addition, it's not just prayer because Jesus says sometimes, sometimes it requires fasting two or three times a week at your discretion. We're not telling you when to do it, but just, but just fast over a meal and pray that God would be revealed to you. This is, this, is, this is where I am, and I offer it to you as well. Let's pray. Gracious God, our prayer is that you would be on display. Not just somewhere else, but here, that we would see it and we would be a part of it and that we would be open to your Holy Spirit. That when you knock, we would, that we would respond. This we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.